Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're in the book of Jude, if you're new to the Bible. It's right before Revelation. It's important that I, I do Jude. I really believe the Lord wanted me to do Jude because Revelation is going to take place. The tribulation is going to take place. But prior to the tribulation is going to be what? The last days. And so we want to be prepared because if you're a bible Christian in this, house, in this room, you're not going through the tribulation. That's a fact. You're going to be spared that. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be spared persecution until that time. And it's coming upon Christians around the world. Hopefully you're reading, you're understanding people in Nigeria, Christians in Nigeria are being martyred on a regular basis. India, people are being Christians. I shouldn't say just people, Christians, specifically Christians. Bible-believing Christians are being martyred on a regular basis in Nigeria and in India. They're being uh, thrown into prisons in many, many Muslim countries, because it's against their religion to have a Bible. You can have the Quran, but you cannot have a Bible. It is against the law. And so for you and I in America, we need to be, remember that we are very blessed. We can have one Bible, two Bibles, ten Bibles. We can have many Bibles as we want. We can have them wherever we want to have them. Not so in other countries. So don't take a Bible study for granted. They would love, they would love to be able to open their Bible and have a Bible study, but most of them are underground three or four or five people. They don't congregate in groups like this. They'd be, they'd be instantly arrested. So don't take what we have for granted, and we, know, we don't know how long it's going to last. So we're in the book of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed not long ago, were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for this time. And Father, we're going to continue in our worship of you through your word. We don't have this all figured out. We never will until we step into heaven. And we don't have it all together. We need more of your Holy Spirit to continually keep our flesh in check. For at those times that we least expected, our flesh acts out. And we're like, oh, God, forgive me. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, we want to be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. And that will only take place via your word, via the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and that our hearts will be open to your word, your love letter, that we might go minister to, the, to those people around us, neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends, that are going to hell. They don't know Jesus. They might even mock Jesus. Father, give us wisdom on how to minister to them, to water, to plant, to fertilize. And, Lord, if it's your will, that, Father, that we might even pray that they would receive Jesus right there on the spot. All things are possible with you. 
So you will be done this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we covered Jude's initial intent in writing this letter. He wanted to write to the believers about their common salvation and the joy found therein. But instead, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to the believers about contending for the faith. And to contend earnestly, that means to struggle for. Get the CD from last week, to struggle for. We are in a struggle, or you should be in a struggle for the faith. If you're not, because things have changed over the last three to four years, if you're not, you might want to ask yourself, am I even in my Bible? Do people even know I'm a Christian? Am I a secret Christian? Because you should be in a struggle. In these last days, the church universally is compromising extensively on the Word of God. And Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. This is the enemy's number one tactic. Deception. How will we not be deceived? By going to the pastor and asking all the questions. No. By being in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then coming and talking to others. And yes, coming for counsel. And yes, coming to the pastor. All of those other things. But first and foremost, you individually need to have a devotional time where you're reading systematically from Genesis to Revelation throughout the year. So that you get fed throughout the year. So let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I believe that day is the rapture of the church. I wouldn't argue with you about it, so don't come up and argue with me. I just believe that is. So before the rapture, there's going to be a falling away. And the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist. Now we're dealing with the spirit of the Antichrist on a regular basis, but literally the Antichrist who will be empowered by Satan himself is going to come on the scenes after the church is taken off the earth. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Falling away, I have a capitalized and underlined there for a reason. The definition is defection from truth, forsake. Defection from truth, forsake. Do we see that happening in the church universally? Do you see it happening in your family members? Maybe they say, well, you know what? That's your truth. And this is my truth. Are there really different truths? No. We need to go back to the Word of God. Specifically, talking about the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. There's only one truth on how to get to heaven. In the Greek, it's called... <clears throat> uh, yeah, what is it called in the Greek? Anybody know? Apostasia. That's the word right there. Apostasia. And it's used twice in the New Testament. Here and in Acts 21, 20 through 21. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They said to, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. So they were believers. The word shows us they were believers, but they drug the law into, they didn't allow the Holy Spirit to debug their program. And I was raised Roman Catholic, and so when I became a believer, I was still in the Roman Catholic Church, and when we finally left the Roman Catholic Church after seven years, after talking to the priest several times, after reading my Roman Catholic Bible and seeing contradiction after contradiction after contradiction, we left the Roman Catholic Church and just followed the Bible. 
But while we were Christians, we were zealous for the Roman Catholic Church. People would come up and say something about the Roman Catholic Church, and we would defend the Roman Catholic Church because we were immature. We weren't discipled. We didn't know the Bible yet. But as we kept reading from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, even back then, 45 years ago, I started to see the discrepancies. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, started to debug the program, realizing I couldn't make it to heaven with Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus the sacraments, Jesus plus the mass. And some of you have come out of religion as well, and you might have to debug the program because it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Well, these Jews were coming and saying, you know what? Yeah, it's Jesus, but you also got to be circumcised. Hello. Don't want that part of the law. I'm 40 years old. No, thank you. 21. But they have been informed about you and that you... Now, this is, I believe, James, but it's the elders talking to Paul. And they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to be circumcised or not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. You see, Paul was accused of something he wasn't doing. But in the last days, we will see that there's going to be those within the church who forsake, because you see the word forsake there capitalized? That's the same definition. It's used only twice. It's used only twice. It was used in 2 Thessalonians and now here in Acts. So forsake means to defect, defection from the truth. So there are people within the church today who are forsaking, falling away, who are defecting from the truth of God's word. They will also turn on true believers and accuse them of misrepresenting the word of God. Let's look at Isaiah 5, Isaiah 5, 18 through 24. Isaiah 5, 18 through 24. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. i got to slow down. I feel like I'm in a rush. Isaiah 5, 18 through 24. What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. Isaiah 5, 19. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out His plan. For we want to know what it is. Isaiah now comments on that. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. You see, what we're going through right now is not new. This took place and has taken place over the millenniums. It's not new. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. They take bribes to let the wicked go free and they punish the innocent. You just thought this was recent. 
This has been happening for millennia. Millennium means, if you're new to the Bible, it's a thousand years. It's been happening for thousands of years. This is not new. Therefore, just as fire licks up stubble and dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will rot and their flowers wither. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. For you and I today, the Bible. The Bible. And with all of the other birth pains of this world, it's quite obvious that we're in the last days. So Jude here, as we look back into Jude, is going to warn the church that they needed to contend for the faith. And the warning has been passed down through the centuries, and here we find ourselves having to contend for the faith like never before in America. And I think that's really good. This is going to separate the true believers from the wannabe believers. Those who have one foot in the word and one foot in the world. Those who think they can play with fire and not get burned. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, the Bible-believing Christian, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's called the tribulation that we'll get into in the book of Revelation. But notice that judgment begins first at the house of God. Those who have the truth, those who are supposed to know the truth, and those who are supposed to be practicing the truth. Again, this is what I mentioned last week when John made this observation about those who wouldn't take a stand for Christ. For you and I, we have to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to share with you a letter. I love it. This young man is not taking a stand for Christ, but it should encourage all of us, no matter what age, to take a stand for Christ. John 12, 43 says this, For they love the praise of men. And the word men there is mankind. More than the praise of God. So in verse 4, we just read it. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 shows us these men who are teaching false doctrine that they slipped into the church unnoticed. The believers were not mature enough to identify and deal with them and And they didn't have the whole word of God like you and I do. So we're going to show them a lot of grace. But that shouldn't be the case for us today. We all need to be prepared to deal with false teaching. Not just the pastorate, not just the elders, not just the deacons. All of us. Because it's coming upon all of us in your workplace. It's coming home maybe from school with your children. They're trying to get it into every preschool. If you're not aware of this, I don't know where you've been. This is false teaching. So you and I, we have to contend for the faith. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Now in verses 5 through 7, but I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains until darkness, under darkness, for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, 
suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We then saw in three verses, three examples of open rebellion against God's word. It was not hidden rebellion, it was right out in the open for all to see. The first example was found in verse 5. The open rebellion of the 10 out of 12 spies, which caused the whole nation to suffer for the next 38 years. The second example was in verse 6. Was Lucifer opens rebellion found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And then the third example was found in verse 7, was the story of Sodom and Gomorrah found in Genesis 18, 16 through 19.29. And even though God blessed the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember Lot and Abraham? That there was contention because they both had so much. And, and Abraham said, where do you want to go? Read it in your Bibles. I'm paraphrasing. He, goes, he looked. He goes, I want to go over there. It's green. It's lush. Sodom and Gomorrah was compared to the Eden, the Garden of Eden. It was fantastic. I want to go over there. That's where I want to go. They openly rebelled against God's natural order for the propagation of the human race. Which, if a person believes in the theory of evolution, if you're here this morning and you believe in the theory of evolution, or having a faith in science, I only believe in science. That's your faith. Versus the creator. This goes against one of the pillars of natural selection. What is one of those pillars? That only the strongest survive. That's one of the main pillars of evolution or natural selection. You see, it's pretty hard to survive if you're not repopulating your species. Because two dogs, two male dogs, cannot bring forth puppies. And two female cats cannot bring forth kittens. You see, a spiritual delusion has come upon this earth and only doctrinally sound teaching will save us from ourselves. Guys, this is where we're at. This is not theoretical. This is where we're at. I saw an article. I couldn't read the article. It was so wicked. Where parents are taking their toddler to a doctor because the toddler wants to be a different sex. That is vile. That is wicked. That is child abuse. Yet our society from Washington, T.C. down is encouraging this nonsense. Totally. Unscientific. Unbiblical. It has always been that way and it will always be that way. Just as these three examples give us information on open rebellion against the loving God, America is falling down the same path. America... And most of the world is pushing to get God out of everything. Even to the point of getting God out of the church. I forget the article, but I read it the other day. And I'm like, it was trying to tell me as a Christian that we shouldn't be teaching certain things out of the Bible because that's not Christian. And I'm like, hello, it's, it's right in the Bible in black and white. But you know better than I do. Okay, all right, so I'll leave it at that. So for us Bible-believing Christians today, it's our time, it's our duty to contend for the faith. You see, we are to expose the delusion that has come upon this world by not giving in to the unscientific, unbiblical nonsense that is being pushed by this administration, the culture, and the state-run media. If you haven't figured this out yet, 
This is a state-run media. Anything that attacks God's order for mankind is from the pit of hell, and our spiritual enemy loves it. The prophet Ezekiel gives us this commentary hundreds of years after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. This is just one aspect. There were other aspects, but just one aspect. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. When we go to the Dead Sea, they believe Sodom and Gomorrah is in the northern area of the Dead Sea. It is total desolation. Total desolation. I'd like to read you an article. 12-year-old destroys school board after school allegedly... I like the word allegedly. You know, when something is so obviously done, why do we use the word allegedly? It's not allegedly. It took place. Send him home for a shirt he was wearing. A 12-year-old boy is being hailed a hero on social media for refusing to bend the knee to left-wing school administrators who scolded him for wearing a benign T-shirt that read, There are only two genders. Liam, a 7th grader at Nichols Middle School in Middleborough, Massachusetts, recounted the disturbing incident at a meeting of the Middleborough School Committee on April 13th. His eloquent speech has since gone viral, 12 years old. So you young people, step up to the plate. Be bold. Might get you kicked out of school. But be bold. Your parents are going right now, please don't listen to him. (laughs) Shut him out. Do not listen to him. His eloquent speech has since gone viral with many Twitter commentators applauding his bravery in the face of left-wing brainwashing. In quotes, I never thought that a shirt I wore to school, 12 years old, I never thought a shirt that I wore to school on March 21st would lead me to speak with you today, Liam said. Now, he's speaking before the school board. He's got his three minutes. He's speaking before the school board. Again, in quotes, on that Tuesday morning, I was taken out of gym class to sit down with two adults for what turned out to be a very uncomfortable talk. Now, the school officials told the boy that some people had complained about his shirt and that some students claimed the words made them feel unsafe. That's the whole thing right now. You're making me feel unsafe. Give me a break. Now, in quotes, yes, words on a shirt made people feel unsafe. They told me that I wasn't in trouble, but it sure felt like I was, Liam said. In quotes, I was told that I would need to remove my shirt before I could return to class. When I nicely told them that I didn't want to do that, they called my father. Thankfully, my dad supported my decisions, came to pick me up. Liam explained, what did my shirt say? Five simple words. There are only two genders. Nothing harmful, nothing threatening, just a statement I believe to be a fact. School officials told the seventh grader his shirt was targeting a protected class. This is a 12-year-old kid. So hopefully you know what's going on in your school. Which made him wonder, who is this protected class? Are their feelings more important than my rights, Liam said? 
I don't complain when I see pride flags and diversity posters hung throughout the school, he said. Do you know why? Because others have a right to their beliefs just as I do. The boy said no one complained to him about the shirt. In fact, he said many students supported him. Not one person, staff or student, told me that they were bothered by what I was wearing. Actually, just the opposite, Liam said. Several kids told me they supported my actions and that they wanted one too. The 12-year-old was puzzled by the supposed disruption his shirt caused. In quotes, I was told the shirt was a disruption to learning, Liam said. Again in quotes, no one got up and stormed out of class. No one burst into tears. I'm sure I would have noticed if they had. He added that he never complained about the disruptions other students caused, so he didn't understand why wearing a shirt would ignite an uproar among the school administration. In quotes, I love this kid. I love what he's saying. He says, I experience disruptions to my learning every day. Kids acting out in class are a disruption, yet nothing is done, he explained. Why do the rules apply to one, yet not another? He's saying this to the school board. I love it. Liam said the message he got from school officials was that diversity of thought was forbidden and would be oppressed. I feel like these adults were telling me that it wasn't okay for me to have an opposing view, he said. Their arguments were weak, in my opinion. (laughs) I love it. I didn't go to school that day to hurt feelings or cause trouble, the seventh grader said. The experience taught him that adults don't always know what they're doing and reaffirmed his belief that free speech is worth fighting for. In quotes, I have learned a lot from this experience, Liam said. I learned that a lot of other students share my view. I learned that adults don't always do the right thing or make the right decisions. Now he's speaking to the school board. I know that I have a right to wear a shirt that those, with those five words. Even at 12 years old, I have my own political opinions and I have a right to express those opinions. Even at school. This right is called the First Amendment of the Constitution. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, for you Christians, you got to go, this includes science and the Bible. Now, God created them male and female. you got to make sure, as a Christian, that you're talking about the Bible, because the First Commandment can go away. The Bible's not going to go away. Liam hopes his experience will encourage the school board to be more open-minded. A 12-year-old, encourage you adults, be a little more open-minded. He also believes this one small act of standing up for himself will inspire other kids to fight for their right to express their opinions. In quotes, My hope in being here tonight is to bring the school committee's attention to this issue, he said. I hope you will speak up for the rest of us who can express ourselves without being pulled out of class. Next time it might not be, next time it may not only be me. There might be more students that decide to speak out. His comments were greeted with applause from the audience. In addition, numerous Twitter users commended Liam's courageous defiance in the face of left-wing indoctrination. Now comment here. It is a sad reflection on the pitiful state of today's toxic educational system that a boy could be punished for stating the fact and defending his opinion. That's why we're going through Jude. It's real. The tribulation, we're not going to be here for it. And we'll get to Revelation, so relax. We'll get there. But we're not going to, get, we're not going to go through it. We're going through it right now, the persecution. And are we ready to go through the persecution? Or are we going to hide under a rock? Are we going to take a stand for Jesus? Or are we going to pretend, well, I don't want to offend my family members. I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to not be invited to the party. Really? Today's the day to take a stand as we look in Jude. We move on in verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, 
reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So he's going back to verse 4, and he's saying Jude gives us an overview of God's creation and open rebellion that was taking place within the church in his day. The examples given speak out against God's ultimate authority over his creation. And he goes back to verse 4 to address those who crept into the church and turned the grace of God, the unmerited, unearned favor of God, into what? What do you see in verse 4? Lewdness. Lewdness. Filthy. Definition of lewdness is filthy. Basically, unbridled lust. Unbridled lust. And lust doesn't always mean sexual. You could have a lust for cars. You could have a lust for a hobby. That just means you elevate that above God and God's calling on your life. You just got to have it. You just got to do it. That's unbridled. That's just lust. Well, in context here, Jude is addressing the unbridled lust that costs people their lives. Their lives. You see, we put a bit into the house of a, in, the, in the mouth of a horse so that we can steer the horse where we'd like it to go. And it's not mean. It's just a simple way in which to control that large beast that have the brain of a walnut. That can easily kill a person. You see, the rider becomes the master, the lord of the situation. And notice that Jude makes reference to these false teachers despising authority in verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. This is where lordship comes in. You see, the rider becomes the lord of the horse. And for some horses, that is no easy feat. So with that physical analogy, let's ask ourselves a spiritual question. Jesus may be my savior, but I have, have I allowed him to become my lord? Now, maybe you're new to the faith. The word Lord means master, that I am the bond servant, and what Jesus asked me to do via the word, via the Holy Spirit, I am called to listen and obey, not take up a discussion with Jesus. Well, you know, we're married in God's eyes. It's okay to have sex outside of marriage because we're married in God's eyes. Okay, he's not your Lord. You might be saved, but you haven't surrendered that area of your life to him. Well, you know what? Prescription drugs, I just, you know, I, I, I had a surgery. I started taking them, leave the pain, and, and, and I got hooked, and, and now I just need them. I mean, that's just the way it is. No, he, you're saved. Yeah, praise God, you're saved. But he's not your Lord. If he's your Lord, you would seek out help. You would seek out counsel. You would do whatever it takes. Now, I'm not bashing prescription drugs. They're, they're okay. I mean, praise God for them. Modern medication is wonderful. I don't, I'm not bashing that, so don't go on any extremes. Keep it in the context of what we're talking about. The flesh. The, the horse wants to do what the horse wants to do. You put a bridle in the horse. Our flesh wants to do what our flesh wants to do. You've got to keep your flesh in check via what? Via the Word of God, via the Holy Spirit. You and I, we have that responsibility. 
Does the word of God guide my life or does my flesh guide my life? You see, this is, a, this is not a, another Bible study. And if you're new here, you're probably going, I want to get out of here. This is discipling. I've only got 40 minutes to disciple all of us. I can't get together individually with you all. It's impossible. Not enough hours in a week. So this is just reality. This is what I do to myself. This is how I talk to myself. Am I allowing my flesh to rule me or am I allowing the Holy Spirit to rule me? You have to make that decision yourself throughout the week, throughout the day, throughout the hours. The Holy Spirit through Paul teaches us the following, Galatians 5, 16 and 25. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. If we do that, which is impossible to do 24-7, guys. So don't, you know, nobody in here is walking on water. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we say, if we say that Jesus is my Savior, but I'm deliberately walking in the flesh, I've got a lordship problem. That's why when we do a, a call for salvation, I never say receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. They can't receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They got to receive Jesus as their Savior. And you might think, man, you're getting really picky. No, I'm just trying to teach theology. They have to receive Jesus as their Savior first. And then you eventually get to that place where you realize, oh, he's not only my Savior, I need to allow him to be my Lord. And that's a whole other level that many Christians are not taught about. We got all the other fancy little stories and studies, but they're not taught about Lordship because that's, you know, that's uncomfortable. And then they might not come back to church and our numbers will go down and then the finances will go down. And so we, we, you know, we just can't do that. Okay? Do church the way you want to do it. The Bible should be taught from Genesis to Revelation. If it makes me uncomfortable, makes you uncomfortable, who cares? Maybe there's sin in my life and I need to repent. I think that's a pretty good thing. So back in our text, in like manner, it is the word of God and the Holy Spirit that keeps our flesh in check. Don't try to do it any other way. Positive thinking... AA, 100 steps, whatever it might be. Get into the Bible. Get into the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Our flesh can easily destroy what God has done in our lives. And unfortunately, we can see that happening far too often in the lives of believers today. I bet we could get a testimony out of many of you over the last three years of you knowing a believer that has walked away from the faith over what's happened over the last three years. I bet we could get many testimonies. That's a sad picture of the church. And in verse 4, these types of people, ungodly men, have no desire to be directed by God on which way to go. They just want to satisfy their fleshly desires, and they desire to take somebody down with them, guys. That's where we're at. And how do they do it? Look back in history. You never start with the old people. You always start with the children. You always indoctrinate the children. In over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you now have a different culture. But you always start with the children. Not you old folks that are going to die. Forget you. We're going with the little ones. Verse 9 in Jude. That's just reality. Verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Jude then goes on to give us an example about Moses, and I have no idea why the enemy would want the body of Moses. Because again, when you piece together the whole word of God, Moses already had received his brand new body. 
1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, John chapter 14, other verses. But for whatever reason it was, Michael, the highest ranking angel in heaven, didn't take it upon himself to deal with his spiritual enemy. What do you say? What do you say in your Bible? The Lord rebuke you. Satan, the Lord rebuke you. That's all. I'm the highest ranking angel, the Lord rebuke you. And that's a great example for you and me. You see, when our spiritual enemy comes against us, we don't need to talk with them. We don't need to talk with them. You will not find this teaching in the Word of God. It's not there. We don't need to talk with them. We don't necessarily need to investigate why they're messing with us. We just need to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. You see, the enemy always has to flee at the name of Jesus. But you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus in order to do that for that to work. Because it's not a magical name that an unbeliever can pull out and use. Let's look at Acts chapter 19 very quickly. Acts chapter 19, 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the name of by the, the we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. Acts 19.15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Look at what the evil spirit said. You want to talk with an evil spirit? I would highly not recommend it. It's not a New Testament teaching. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man on whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear, a godly fear, fell on them all in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Not the person who said all this other stuff and supposedly talking with demons. Back in Jude, as the music team comes up. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Does that sound like today? Jude instructs us that these wicked deceivers will speak of evil things that they have no idea what they're talking about. It's okay to marry same-sex couples. They have no idea what they're talking about. It's okay to murder a baby in a mother's womb because it's not a baby, even to the point of birth. That's okay. They have no idea what they're talking about. It's okay to ordain lesbians, homosexuals. It's okay. And what is the rest of the world saying? Not the rest of the world, some of the world saying, Yay! You're right! Those Bible Christians over there, they're bigots. They're phobiacs. They hate people. Am I not speaking the truth? This is what is happening in our culture. You might not like to hear it, but it's reality. What are you going to do about it is the question. I have to make that decision as a pastor. Am I going to change the teaching up here on Sunday mornings? No. I'm just going to keep teaching the Bible. Well, I don't like it. Go bless another church. We love you. You stick around long enough, you'll find out why we teach it. If you want your ears tickled, you're not going to get it here. 
We're in desperate days. Desperate, desperate days. The economy could collapse at any moment. We're blessed here in Queen Creek. Look at the rest of the country. We are so blessed here in Queen Creek. It's not happening in the rest of the country. It could collapse at any moment. And there'll be chaos like none of us have experienced in America. There'll be total chaos. I'm not being theatrical. It's just real. You see, a natural person cannot understand the spiritual world, but they know how to invent new ways to corrupt themselves even more in the natural world. That's what's happening. We shouldn't be surprised about the wickedness that is increasing in this world because it's a natural process of a culture that what? Has removed God out of its midst. Why are we going down this road? Take God out of take the Bible out of school, take prayer out of school, get the Ten Commandments out of school. We don't want nothing to do with God. And what are we reaping? Well, my toddler is born in the wrong body. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, we see what's happening in this culture. Child abuse. We see what's happening to our president, elder abuse. It's the full spectrum. They're not following science. They're definitely not following the Bible. So, Father, we have to contend for the faith. I mean, that's just what we have to do. There's there's no other option. We can't put our head in the sand and pretend this is not happening. It's happening. It's happening right here in our own community. It's happening in this state. It's happening throughout the country. So, Father, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We cannot run and hide. If we do, we will not be happy with ourselves. You'll love us and we'll go to heaven. But we will not be happy. And we want to be filled with the joy, the joy of the Lord. Whatever persecution that may bring, we want to be filled with the joy of the Lord. So, Father, give us wisdom that we speak the truth in love. That we approach the unbeliever in love. That we help to lift their eyes to heaven. Just like someone did to us individually. They lifted our eyes to heaven explaining to us that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I thank you for Gene. I thank you that he did that. He told me straight up, you're a sinner. And that I needed a Savior. Father, help us to lovingly let others know that as well. It's the only way they'll get saved. Arguing politics isn't going to help. Arguing agendas is not going to help. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit in these evil days that we'll press hard, that we'll swim upstream, For your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, guys. Be encouraged. As it gets darker, we just get the opportunity to shine brighter. Let your light so shine before men, I think Jesus said, that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. We have oil to anoint you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.